Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty. Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautyo Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 841. A little tradition we have going here now. We have our little live remote mic at our window here, pointing toward the Talking Birds Garden. So far, we're seeing gray cat birds and American robins, and um, that's about it so far this morning, but we'll, we'll be listening in. Otherwise, I think we need to start the show with an update on a serious problem that's affecting birds in a pretty big chunk of the country now, starting in the mid-Atlantic states and spreading north and west. In late May, wildlife managers in Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, and Kentucky started reporting sick and dying birds with multiple symptoms, including eye swelling with crusty discharge and neurological issues in which the birds seemed disoriented. Reports have since been issued in Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Indiana. And a number of other states, including Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Wisconsin, are recommending that folks take down their bird feeders and bird baths until the problem has passed. Fortunately, in many of these states, it's been a pretty wet summer, so birds should be able to get sufficient water, we hope. Probably a good idea to check with your local Audubon chapter or other trusted source in your area for guidance about this. As for the cause, that seems to still be a mystery, and a lot of testing is being done to try to determine the source of the illness. Last week, we talked about another problem plaguing birds, outdoor cats, and the fact that an Australian city has enacted a ban on free-roaming house cats. Now, we like cats around here, and we like people who own cats, but birds don't like cats so much. A friend from Maine Audubon, the very talented naturalist Doug Hitchcock, has addressed the outdoor cat issue in the summer edition of Maine Audubon's Habitat magazine, in which he points out that cats are the number one anthropogenic, in other words, human activity-related cause of bird mortality, with an estimated 2.4 billion birds killed by cats each year in the U.S. Says Doug, even with Many of these deaths being attributed to feral cats. The number of birds killed by owned, free-ranging cats still towers over collisions with buildings, the number two cause of mortality. Later in the piece, Doug says, I've owned cats my whole life, and they've lived long, happy lives indoors. And he makes another important point by saying, Inside, cats get food that I know wasn't poisoned which you can't say about the rodents your cat is catching. Doug Hitchcock's there in Maine Audubon's Habitat magazine. That's the sound of our mystery bird, a whole flock of them, in fact, in a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along in a little bit here. And presented by Red Start Birding. Red Start Birding is your new resource for birding optics, gear, and expertise. Great birding starts at redstartbirding.com. 
clues about our mystery bird. It's a large and heavy-bodied waterfowl with a black head, neck, and chest and a white partly broken collar marking. Our bird breeds across Alaska, northern Canada, and Greenland and winters along both U.S. coasts in marshes and lagoons and shallow bays. That's our mystery bird in the terms of clues. And you heard the sound. The prizes include the Droll Yankees' original, iconic, A6F Classic Tube Feeder. It's guaranteed against squirrel damage with a lifetime guarantee. Our bonus prize. This is a beautiful thing. A $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books. Home of one of the biggest selections of birding books in the world. Prizes, clues, and the sound of our mystery bird contest coming along shortly. And meanwhile, it's our conservation salute of the week. And it goes to uh, one of your humble host's favorite things. It's a magazine that I've been reading since 19... uh, Or let's just say a really long time. It's Car and Driver, one of the legendary publications celebrating internal combustion engine-powered automobiles. So why are we giving a conservation salute to such a publication? Well, because this month they have not only put a pure electric vehicle on the cover of the magazine, but they've devoted virtually the entire issue to clean energy electric vehicles. Who in the world would have predicted that something like that would ever happen? Maybe Elon Musk. But it has, and so we salute the always great and now even greater Car and Driver magazine. By the way, the car on the cover, which Car and Driver has designated as the electric vehicle of the year, is the new Ford Mustang Mach-E electric crossover SUV. Be still, my heart. Royal salute time to the royalty of the Talking Birds listener family. That's our ambassadors who help us get the word out about our show so that we can get the word out about birds and conservation. And thank you to Jamie Hayes from Berlin, Connecticut. Jamie says, I'm a fish hatchery supervisor working for the Connecticut Department of Environmental Protection. Living at the hatchery provides us with unique birding for our area. The property is also full of milkweed, which attracts lots of monarchs and pollinator plants in all our gardens. We get lots of hummingbirds. That's pretty cool, and thank you, Jamie. We have a very long-distance ambassador to welcome today. She's Jana S. from Tallinn, Estonia, which is in northern Europe, bordering the Baltic Sea and the Gulf of Finland. And uh, Jana says, I'd love to share talking birds with the internation's birdwatching Baltic community. Thank you so much to Jana. And thanks to somebody we've known for a long time. He's a... Native New Englander, now out in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Thomas Orfan. And we're going to hear from Thomas uh, in connection with our ambassador's family in just a couple of minutes here. Talking Birds listeners, please consider becoming part of our ambassador's family. It's really easy to do, easy to sign up for, too. Just click on the Get Involved button at the top of the homepage at TalkingBirds.com. Still to come on our show today, we'll find out about more wonderful bird festivals going on around the country. And we'll talk with an organizer of one of them. Plus, we'll absorb some words of wisdom from Mike O'Connor in our Let's, uh, Let's Ask Mike segment, almost live from the archive. And up next, one of the great vocalists of the avian realm is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. 
For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Ever hear of Red Mavis or Sandy Mocker? Well, Red and Sandy are the same bird. They're among the many nicknames of today's featured feathered friend, the Brown Thrasher. Last week's featured bird, the Northern Mockingbird, is famous for its amazing mimicry skills and extensive song repertoire. But the Brown Thrasher, the most common of the Thrasher species seen in the U.S. and Canada, offers some serious competition. It can voice more than 2,000 different songs, and the Cornell Lab of Ornithology suggests that it may be the Brown Thrasher that's the champion mimic in North America. Here are a few brief examples of its vocal output. As the Red Mavis and Sandy Mocker nicknames suggest, the Brown Thrasher looks quite a bit like a mockingbird, a long and sleek songbird, but with bright rust-colored upper parts, a really long tail, thin black and white wing bars, bold dark breast streaks, and a distinctive downward curved bill that it uses to sweep away soil to get at the beetles and other prey it finds there. The brown thrasher is a short-distance migrant. Its breeding range includes most of the U.S. and Canada east of the Rocky Mountains, and it winters in the southern U.S., where it's found throughout the year, and where it holds the honor of being the state bird of Georgia, where it was the inspiration for the name of a National Hockey League team, the Atlanta Thrashers, until they migrated north to become the new Winnipeg Jets. And at least two brown thrashers have done a little jetting of their own. One has been recorded in England and another in Germany. Oh, and those other brown thrasher nicknames include Planting Bird, Ferruginous Mockingbird, and Eastern Roadrunner. <coughs> the Brown Thrasher, Toxostuma rufum. Today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again. It's our show number 841, Talkin' Birds with no G in Talkin'. Dot com is our website. Lots of great birding festivals going on around the country in late July and August, many focusing on hummingbirds. Here's a quick run-through uh, of some of them. July 29th through 31st, the Sedona Hummingbird Festival, Sedona, Arizona. July 31st, the Indiana Audubon Hummingbird Migration Celebration, Connersville, Indiana. August 4th through the 8th, Hybrid Southwest Wings Birding and Nature Festival in Sierra Vista, Arizona. August 19th through the 22nd, Davis Mountains Hummingbird Celebration in Fort Davis, Texas. And August 21st, the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah in Henderson, Minnesota. You can find links to all those uh, festivals for info on our Facebook page right now. And we'll also uh, have them listed shortly on our TalkingBirds.com website. And one more festival I'd like to mention will take place on Saturday, August 7th. It's the Black Belt Birding Festival presented by Alabama Audubon. And to tell us something about a thing associated with that festival is Alabama Audubon Black Belt Coordinator Meg Ford. Good morning, Meg. Morning, Ray. How's it going? It's going well. Great, great to have you on. Thank you so much, Meg, for for joining us. You know, we're not going to promote uh, this year's Black Belt Birding Festival, 
Um, and that, <laughs> that's because it's already sold out. So congratulations on that. Yes, thank you so much. It's really bittersweet. I wish that we could get more people down here because it seems like the demand for learning about the black belt and the wonderful birds that are down here is pretty high. Um, but it's very exciting and very humbling that it's already sold out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you're going to plan to make it bigger next year, right? Accommodate some more people maybe? Oh, yes. So our festival for this year is only going to be around the Hale County area and specifically around our office, which is in Greensboro, Alabama. But the Black Belt region stretches from the eastern side of Alabama all the way to the western side. So mm-hmm. we can also include really historically important areas of Alabama like Selma um, and Montgomery and also mm-hmm. Lowndes County and um, a lot of different areas with tons of different bird habitat and tons of history that I would love to share with folks. Indeed. Well, Black Belt has a couple of connotations. One relating to the rich black soil is so good for growing crops. But as uh, you kind of alluded to, the historical nature, the historical exploitation of black Americans through slavery enabled cotton growing, right? It did. Yes, absolutely. The um, concentration of slaves in Alabama when slavery was legal was highest in the black belt. The estimate is that about 40% of the slaves in our entire state were just concentrate in this little belt in the middle of our state. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's an important legacy for us to be able to speak about. And one especially that's important to share with birders because it's important for us to think about the people that were taking care of these habitats, right? And on that note, I also wanna mention that the Porch Creek Nation is an, plays an important role in this as well. Um, the forced removal of indigenous Americans in Alabama was specifically because of the cotton industry. So when we're talking about the Black Belt, we're specifically talking about the Porch Creek Nation. Mm-hmm. Well, something associated with the festival that I mentioned a moment ago is Alabama Audubon's Black Belt Birding Initiative designed to bring the economic and environmental benefits of bird-based ecotourism uh, to one of the country's most economically challenged rural areas. Tell us about that initiative, uh, Meg, if you would. Yes. So our idea is that if we can encourage people to come birding here and to spend our dollars in the Black Belt, then we'll be able to uplift these wonderful Black Belt communities Hmm. that have this wonderful legacy to share with us. And um, an important part of that legacy is actually also the civil rights movement. So some key moments of the civil rights movement, like the Selma Montgomery March, happened right here in the Black Belt. And I think it's a real shame that the Black Belt, because of that legacy, is so um, economically poor. And I think that it's really worthy of um, more uplift and more support. There's a terrific video on the Alabama Audubon website that showcases uh, some of the amazing birds in the state. And the video features Cornelius Joe from the Joe Farm in Madison County, and his son, Chris Joe, who was a guest here on Talking Birds back in April, uh, talking about the farm's ecotourism activities in which they invite birders to uh, visit the farm and see birds like Mississippi kites and swallow-tailed kites and bald eagles and so many others, some wonderful birds uh, to see. Is it fair to say, Meg, that Alabama is an underrated birding area? would say so absolutely i think that the state of alabama gets a really bad rep i think for um completely understandable reasons mm-hmm. but it's also um i think has been kind of exaggerated into a bit of a caricature and um 
I think that many people that would be resistant to um, visiting Alabama would actually really benefit from a visit to the Black Belt in particular and to see ecotourism businesses like Chris's. Mm-hmm. So uh, also on your website, there's a panel discussion moderated by you entitled Blackbirders and the Deep South. Uh, some other friends of ours on there, Chris Joe, we mentioned, and Karina Newsom, who was here on the show with us. Christian Cooper, who uh, unintentionally became famous uh, when uh, having problems there birding while black in Central Park. Um, give us a thumbnail, if you would, um, uh, Meg, about that panel discussion. Sure, that was a great talk. I learned a lot from it, and I hope that people that get to watch it, if you get to check it out, they'll learn a lot from it as well. But we were inviting blackbirders from different parts of the country to kind of discuss the um, difficulties in making more diverse birding communities, specifically in the Southeast. And it was really interesting because we had people like Christian and Karina, like you said, that are from places that are up north, but we also had uh, Chris and also Drew Lanham, who is our keynote speaker for our uh, Black Belt Birding Festival this year, and Rashida um, Fareed, who is a professor at Tuskegee University. So getting to hear their different perspectives on how um, birding communities in the Southeast could become more diverse or the difficulties in that was very interesting and very eye-opening. Mm-hmm. The Black Belt Birding Initiative and Birding in Alabama, good things to know about. You can find out more on the Alabama Audubon website. Pretty easy to remember. It's alaudubon.org, alaudubon.org. Meg, thanks for joining us this morning. Good luck with the festival and the Black Belt Birding Initiative. And please keep us up to date with all the good things you're doing there. Thanks, Ray. Meg Ford here on Talking Birds, and up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. There it is, that whole flock of mystery birds. Just identify one of them and be the winner in our mystery bird contest here. As always, our contest means you don't necessarily have to get the right answer, so give it a try because the drawing will determine the winner among uh, answers received. So, by all means, give it a try at 781-837-4900. I'll give that number again in a moment. And please don't wait to call so we'll have sufficient time for our contest. Our mystery bird is a large and heavy-bodied waterfowl with a black head and neck and chest and a white, partly broken collar marking. Our bird breeds across Alaska, northern Canada, and Greenland and winters along both U.S. coasts in marshes and salt marsh lagoons and shallow bays. 
Here's an obscure clue. This is a little bit weird, but uh, we'll try it. Its name is almost identical to the last name of a former chancellor of Germany. All right, our mystery bird beautiful prizes include the Droll Yankees' original, iconic A6F classic tube feeder featuring durable metal parts. The Droll Yankees says squirrels can't chew, and they back that up by including a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage with this feeder. And our bonus prize, a $15 gift certificate for Beautio Books, home of one of the biggest selections of birding books in the world. Prizes and clues, etc. Give us a call on our Mystery Bird Contest at 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, even though uh, folks are taking down bird baths in many places, we have a little bird bath feature here in an almost live from the archive edition of Let's Ask Mike with Mike O'Connor in just one minute. Beauty O Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com. B-U-T-E-O. Beautyobooks.com. My name is Thomas Orfan, and I'm calling from Colorado Springs, Colorado. I look forward every week to learning and laughing with Ray on Talking Birds, and I'm always excited to share that experience with someone else. All listeners should become Talking Birds ambassadors because the only thing better than getting to listen to the show every Sunday is getting to tell people what they're missing out on. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family at TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. On this morning's Let's Ask Mike edition, Strange Food and Bird Baths. And Mike O'Connor will be here to tell us about it. In fact, I think, think he's here right now. Let's uh, let's check that out. Good morning, Mike. When you hear the music, you know I'm there. You're there. Boy, thank you. It's good to know you're. we can count on you being there. What is this? Now, you were talking about crackers, dog food, crab legs? Yeah, crazy clam stuff shells? in a bird bath. Oh, did I interrupt your list? I'm sorry. No, I think that was it. Yeah, crazy stuff in the bird bath lately, and I not only my bird bath, the customers come in and they're, they're you know they're complaining. Look at look at all the stuff in the bird bath. They got pizza crust. I've got yeah, like you said, crab legs, and um, most of it's from crows. Crows in this time of year here on the Cape, uh, people are uh, you know having picnics and cookouts and scattering food around, and the crows sneak in and scoop some of it up. But it's like pizza crust or donuts. They're a little dry, so they come in, and they've been soaking them in my bird bath and other people's bird baths, even muffins. And then they dip them in, and they fly off with them, and sometimes they let them soak a little longer. Um, I try to reconstitute the muffin because one of them looked good, but it, it just kind of <laughs> fell apart. Boy, that would have been probably extra tasty. Yeah, I think so. Don't you think? Yeah. And, you know, and and no one's sure why this happens. Um, You know, they thought, well, maybe they rinse them off. And crows are smart, and they learn from each other, so Mm. not all crows have the same behavior, but one does it, and then other ones will copy it. And they thought maybe they rinse off the food and make it, you know, get the get the mustard and ketchup and tartar sauce Mm. off. Or other people think, and I think this is more... um, 
more likely the point, although we can't prove it, is they take this food and then they feed it to the babies. A lot of fledged crows are flying around now and they're squawking like heck. And the, and the parents will feed them food. And some of these food, like, you know, like a crust of bread is a little dry, so they soak it in water first. Uh, I even had grackles. Now, I don't think put grackles in the same intelligent bracket as crows, but mm-hmm. I, I had dry mealworms put out for the chickadees and the Carolina wrens, and the grackles would take mouthfuls of them, drop them in the water, and then stand back. They're almost like they're preparing them, mm-hmm. and then they'd scoop them up again and fly off, you assume, to prepare to give to their babies. And my customers complain, how do I keep these birds from <laughs> ruining the bird bath? And I say, calm down. It's a bird bath. It's for them. It's not you to decide what they do with it. You know, it's just water. Rinse it out if you don't like it. Yeah. Do it again. But it's important for the birds to, at least in this case, to kind of moisten their food. So just just put up with it for a little while, just during the, the baby bird season, I would assume. But also, we'll, we'll get a second to talk about yeah. filling your bird bath. I mentioned this like a year ago, and I'm probably going to mention it every year because it's important. When you fill your bird bath, don't use the garden hose. Don't drink from the garden hose like we all used to back in the oh, day. Yeah. That's probably what happened to us. Exactly. But... Garden hoses are not regulated. They're full of lead. They're full of uh, PBA, which I don't even know what that is, but nobody likes it. <laughs> and it's like 20 times stronger than the government uh, re- uh, acceptable amount. So if you use your, you can get better bird, be- uh, better garden hoses usually at a camping store or a boating store or RV place where they, you know, people likely to drink the water. But try to get, don't use a regular garden hose to fill your bird bath because it's not, the water isn't safe. So when you fill your bird bath, what I do is I've got a couple of, you know, I went out and bought some better hoses. But oftentimes I'll just take a container and fill it from the sink and then go out and fill the bird bath with that. It's, so it's safe drinking water. But stuff you get out of the hose, that's not so great to drink. So yeah, you put think, that in. You think they would have uh, made some regulations about that after this time? As people do drink out of hoses, let's face it. For, right, right, forever. You would have yeah. thought so. And I know California's kind of has required people, uh, not pay, but manufacturers, to put that on their packaging. But who looks at the packaging of a garden hose? You know, you just rip it open and you plug it in and you get ready to go there. So we all did that. It's going on for so long. But I don't know if that's going to change anything. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, we take away from this. Don't drink out of your garden hose. Don't squirt it into your bird bath. Don't worry about the stuff in the bird bath because that's for the birds. And don't put any bars of ivory soap in there. That's not what they want. Right? <laughs> and don't eat the muffins. It doesn't work. <laughs> Talk to you next week, Mike. Okay, sounds good. Mike O'Connor down there at the legendary Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. We're back to the Mystery Bird Contest after this very brief message. For over a quarter century, Bird Watching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Here we are at the Mystery Bird Contest in our flock of birds here at 781-837-4900. Beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees and Beautio Books. And Caroline is in beautiful Hummer Rock, Massachusetts, with uh, with an offering for us. Uh, good morning, Caroline. Good morning. Good morning. You sound fabulous this morning there, Caroline. Oh, thank you, Ray. You always do. <laughs> no, you do. No, I didn't mean Thank you. you. Right. Okay, here's my guess. Okay. The Common Muir. The common muir is Caroline's guest. That's a very cool-sounding guest, but I seem to hear something that would indicate it might not be exactly correct. Oh, 
But uh, stay tuned, Caroline. A drawing could determine the winner if you uh, if no one does get it. It's so close. It's he so has a black head. He yeah. has a heavy body, and he stays over the ocean. Can't tell the difference. Oh. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Caroline. Thank you. All right. We have Ted in Lynn, Massachusetts. Uh, good morning, Ted. Morning, Ray. How's it going? Going, going well, Ted. How about you? Fine and dandy. All right. And the mystery bird is a brant. A brant. Exactly right. It's kind of too small a name for a bird, isn't it? Just brant. It should be some some other descriptive in there. It's very brief, but brant um, is uh, is is the bird. Yeah. Nice job there. The brant, very you. similar to a Canada goose. It kind of looks like a Canada goose with a with a short neck. I guess it'd be one way uh, to describe the brant. Hey, we have time for a bonus question, Ted. Would you like to uh, go for it? This does not affect uh, your prizes at all, by the way, I should mention. Sure. All right. By the way, uh, Audrey up in Maine rescued a duck this morning. We just heard about that. I'm not even sure yet what kind of a duck it is. But uh, we have a, a duck question here. If you hear a mallard duck quack, uh, what can you assume? A, that it's a male mallard, B, that it's a female mallard, or C, that it's about to attack. So take cover. What do you I'll think, say A. A, that it's a male mallard. It's actually a female mallard. Only the female quacks. Isn't that interesting? Oh, Ted, sure thank, you. thank you so much. Stay on the line while we wrap up our show because we are plumb out of time for this morning. Thank you so much for listening to Talking Birds, and we'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Video Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Videobooks.com.